This is uh, the beginning of Lent and uh, marks the start of the journey towards Holy Week. It's a Good Friday and then Resurrection Easter Sunday. And typically it's a time when people have taken stock of their lives. They've fasted in some way, i.e. they've stopped eating something or doing something in order to create a bit more space for God's uh, work uh, within them. And uh, some of you are trying to do some extra things, some particular acts of kindness each day. If you're not still not sure what your rhythm is going to be for uh, the period of Lent, but are still looking for something, then uh, Rachel's been gathering momentum around her 40 names. She's written out 40 names of God, uh, one name for every day of Lent. Today's day five. But you can start on day five and uh, thinking about the character of God, spending just a few moments a day with a Bible verse, thinking and meditating on what the Lord would say to you and through you through that. So that's out on my uh, Twitter feed and Facebook and all that jazz uh, this morning if you're still looking for something to do in Lent. We're in the book of James, as we've just heard some moments ago. This is week six in James. You can pick up everything at hashtag faith that works. And uh, this morning, uh, this question, free speech is my right, isn't it? This is for all those of you who've opened up your gob and wish you hadn't. And it comes with lots of love from James in the New Testament If you've ever opened up your mouth and wish you hadn't, then this is a little gentle kiss from the book of James. Let's get ourselves orientated together. The heading in your Bible, I think, or if you're using a Bible in the pew, is Taming the Tongue. And uh, to put some perspective, let's think for a moment about what the Bible has to say. The Bible says that words are very powerful. Right at the beginning of the Bible, the first book, first chapter, talks about the way that God, God himself uses words, and his words are so powerful that with them he created stuff that didn't otherwise exist. He said, let there be light, and there was. And if you look through Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, all say, God said and something happened. Whatever else is going on in those verses, there is something very important about the power of our words, or in that particular case, God's word uh, himself, God's own words. Satan also uses words. Genesis chapter 3, we're right at the beginning of the Bible, God's spoken, all kinds of amazing things have happened. Now Genesis chapter 3, Satan speaks, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? God uses words to create, Satan uses words powerfully smaller p, to destroy. And he still uses words to destroy. You're no good. If people knew your sin, they wouldn't let you come into this church. Doing that is okay, actually, because, you know, it's not really hurting anyone. 
So right at the beginning of the Bible, you get this kind of a tension around words. God uses words to create. Satan uses words to destroy. What, what you can't conclude in the first few chapters of Genesis is that words aren't important, that words have no power, that words do not achieve anything. There is no such thing as just words. Just words. They accomplish something. They create a reality whether we intended our words to do that or not. As God says about his own words, when they go out, they will achieve something. They will create something. They will make a difference. My words will go out and they won't come back empty, i.e. they won't come back as if I've never spoken, as if something's never been said. And so you see this this kind of tension that's built early on in the Bible that words have power and they can be used for creative purpose or they can be used for destructive purpose. Your words can align yourself with God's creative purpose or your words can align yourself with Satan's destructive purpose purpose. To put it in the vernacular of James, skip down to verse 10 just for a moment, your words will always be a praise or a blessing or they will be a curse, a blessing or a curse. That's the reality that words create. There's no such thing as just words They align themselves one way or another. The Bible says if you're not for God, then you're against him one way or another. Words create reality. So what reality do your words create? So James begins. James chapter 3. Teachers, this is really important for you. He begins, teachers, beware. So we've got all this background about words, how they line up. They're powerful. They line up one side or the other. Teachers, beware. Not many of you should become teachers. Oh dear. My fellow believers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's a sobering reminder for anybody who wants to get up and say something. Teachers, beware. And, and we might say, fair enough. And, and one of the, one of the agendas in this chapter three, uh, one of the hermeneutical principles for those of you doing the H plus course that we won't pursue this morning. See how I got that in there? See what I did there? Um, one of the, the agenda is that Paul is, uh, James is really having a go at the, the power that leaders have in the way that they teach in the local church. It's a thing that we won't pick up this morning, but it's there in, uh, those, uh, in these verses. But what struck me, as James says, not many of you should effectively aspire to become teachers, and fair enough, what struck me is this, we are all teachers. I just wanted to feel better. Is it working? Not really. But, but we are all teachers. What did, what did we see last week, and, and what we saw last week in this Baptist baptism pool in this baptistry was reflecting a verse at the end of the gospels when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples and teach them 
Teach them. Every disciple is a teaching disciple. That's your job as a disciple of Jesus to teach other disciples. You might be one step, half a step, a couple of millimeters ahead, but it's your job to teach what you know to others. And so there's a sense in which we're all teachers. If you, if you're a parent, you're teaching every single moment whether you like it or not. It's really annoying that you don't just teach your kids when you're getting it right. You teach your kids every time you speak, react, and so on. And so we have this ginormous responsibility towards others. And I'm sure James, who reflects a lot, perhaps we'll have time for this before we end uh, the book of James, to see how James picks up so many of the words of Jesus. But no doubt James had in his mind those words of Jesus that you've got to give an account. You've got to explain every careless word. That's why it's going to take an eternity for us all to get in, I think. Every careless word we need to give an account for. And so the reality we face this morning is a sobering one. Teachers beware, but we're all teachers. And we all fail with our words. We all fail. It's a, it's a real leveler, what James says here. There are so many ways to fail with our words. Do we use our words to judge or to blame others? Eve immediately said, made me do it. Adam immediately said, she made me do it. Straight away, blaming, judging. Are we critical? Do we speak not out of faith, but out of our faithless? Like the 12 spies that go into the promised land and they all come back and say it's hopeless, there are giants in the land, we can't do this. And their words almost obliterated the journey of God's fuel, except for two people who in utter contrast spoke a faith-filled word. Do we boast? Is there anything in us that sometimes is like the Pharisee who prayed, Lord God, I'm so grateful to you. I'm not like that tax collector down there. Have we ever had the thought in our mind that I'm a little better than I am because I'm better than somebody else? Do we speak out of fear? Like Moses at the burning bush. And, and God says to Moses, I, go down and set my people. And, and Moses goes, I can't speak. I'm no good. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to do it. I can't. My, I haven't got any words. This, that, and the other. And he responds out of his fear. Do we speak out of anger? Proverbs says, only a fool gives full vent to his anger. Do we speak words that are simply unloving, un? kind, harsh words? Do we put others down to lift ourselves up? Proverbs says, hey, if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. You will be judged by the words you use towards others. Do we lie? Do we exaggerate the truth, select the truth, massage the truth? What kind of words do you fail with? What kind of words do you fail with? Remember, we all fail. James is absolutely clear. There's no one who doesn't stumble and fall. And the question is this. Are we we honest about that? Are we honest about the fact that we all fail with our words? Now, I suspect that we are 
Because there is nobody here who doesn't understand the phrase that I began with. Have you ever opened your mouth and wished you hadn't? So uh, we all know, we can all think of examples. When we, we just wish that we were like zippy and someone had zipped me up. Some of you are laughing, some of you have no idea what you're on about because it's a totally locked into a particular generation. And Bungle and George and ah. Oh. I think we are honest about the fact that we all fail with our words. I think we are less honest about the impact that our words will have had. I think we're all honest that we fail, but I think we so easily underestimate the impact that our words have. Remember where we began, words are powerful. They create something. They, they change reality. They do not go nowhere. They're not just words. So the third truth in James is words look small, but they make a mighty difference. Words have a huge impact. And so he says in verse 3, it's like they can bring everything under control. The word might seem really small, but just like a bit in a horse's mouth is a really small tool. It looks insignificant, but when it's put to work, it can control a, a massive animal. A Suffolk punch can be controlled. That's a, that's a horse, not a drink. <laughs> just, just, just checking. Yeah? If you put a bit in a Suffolk punch's mouth, that's a horse. You can, you can guide that horse. You can control the whole of the horse by that small bit. True or false? True. And James is saying that with that small bit, everything can be controlled. So whose control are you using your words to bring your life under? Remember, there are two choices. There's the blessing and the curse. There's aligning with heaven. There's aligning with hell. There's going for God, creative. There's going for Satan and his destructive words. In that choice, where do we use our words to bring ourselves in line, to bring ourselves under control? For God, if not for the enemy, for Satan. Speak right words towards someone, James is saying. And the rest of your body, the rest of your life will follow. Speak wrong words towards someone and the rest of your life, the rest of your body will follow that word. So when your words are wrong, they cause such havoc. Like a ship, he says in verse 4. Because words take your whole life in a particular direction. And a little rudder can alter the whole direction of a ship. So a little word can alter the whole direction of your life. Some of us have heard too often the little words, you're useless. And it has altered the direction of the whole of our lives. Does that make sense? Some of us, have heard the words, you're ugly, and they've altered the direction of the whole 
of our lives. Positively, some of us have heard from our earliest days, I love you. Do not underestimate the way that has contributed positively to the direction of your life. Tiny words, says James, with a massive impact because they can take your whole life in a particular direction, which is where James lands in the next verse, verse 5. The effect of a word can spread like wildfire. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It can achieve massive things. It can create huge realities. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Gossip travels really fast. I love that Mark Twain quote, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting its shoes on. Spreads like wildfire. And I've noticed that not only do some words spread like wildfire, we share them with one another, some words spread like wildfire and affect our whole being. Has someone ever said something to you and it's like in that moment they've rocked your whole world? It spreads throughout your body, your life, like wild fire. Words are very powerful. No such thing as just words. So James lands the final punch here in verse 6. The tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Words have a huge impact. Thirdly, they corrupt the whole body. No such thing as just words. Why? Because the way God made us Spirit, soul, mind, body, all interconnected. In fact, if you want to explore some of these things more fully, uh, you, you might remember in um, the Sovereign series on Ezekiel last autumn, I preached a sermon called Sour Grapes. And I talked a lot about how our words uh, uh, manifest in a spiritual reality in that sermon, Sour Grapes, from last year. It will be forward slash sovereign, and you can find it uh, all there. Remember what Jesus said. Whatever you loose, whatever you speak out, whatever you create on earth will be matched in the heavens. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Words have a spiritual reality, which is why they are so positively brilliant and so utterly deadly. It's why words can create the universe and words can destroy it. It's why both God and Satan use words every day. No such thing as just words. So it's really serious what we say. Fourth, big truth. We have no cure. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Look how brilliant we are. We can tame whatever animal comes our way. Well, some of us can. 
but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. You are restless evil full of deadly poison. Simon, are you really saying that? No, the Bible's saying that. James is saying that. You are a restless, you are restless evil full of deadly poison. Typical Christian response is that I will try harder to tame my tongue. And we will have heard lots of uh, sermons around that, I suspect, growing up in Sunday school. So therefore, you, you have to tame your tongue. God knew our, our, our tongue would need taming. He kind of caged it within teeth and then lips, but we still manage to get it out, don't we? In all kinds of ungodly ways. And the typical response is, say, well, I feel convicted, and you will, because the Bible says that everybody fails in this area, so if I didn't give an example that suits you, then find your own. It's not that difficult, because we've all failed in that area. The typical response is, say, well, I'm going to try harder this week to zip it up. That's like pushing sand uphill, isn't it? Because if you could have zipped it up, what I want to know is why you didn't zip it up years ago. And if I could have zipped it up, why didn't I zip it up years ago? The answer is that we can't zip it up. If we could, we would. And what that creates is a whole bucket of guilt and shame and failure and so on. And so we try to manage stuff. And what happens is words come into our heads and we try and not let them get out of our mouth and so on. And there's this massive battle going inside our head and it's just exhausting. It'd be good if there was another way, wouldn't it? I expected more of a response to that. I must be honest. To be, to be fair. It'd be good if there was another way, wouldn't it? Yeah? Well, there isn't. No, no, just, just kidding. I think there might be. I think there might be. I think there might be a bigger prize for us to grab hold of here. You have no cure, says James. There it is. No human being can tame the tongue. You can file for an exception if you like, but that's what it says. We have no cure. Your own efforts are useless. It's a bit harsh, but that's what it seems to be saying. Our own efforts are useless. We need the last truth. The Bible gets us to a point, this is gospel truth, every time the Bible gets us to a point when there's nothing we can do to rescue ourselves. It's back to last week. If you think that by what you do, you rescue yourself, put yourself right with God, you've totally missed the point and you're stuffed. It's only when we recognize there's nothing that we can do. And so we get to these last truths. We begin to learn that it's a matter of the heart. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Clearly not. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Clearly not. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh 
water. James is saying this, look, it's a matter of the heart. Isn't that reminiscent of something Jesus said? About out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's saying, can can fresh water come out if the heart is not fresh? Can you expect the goodness of God in our olives be born if, if inside there is not an olive tree or a grape vine bearing figs or whatever it is? If your heart is not fresh, you cannot speak out fresh water or expect fresh water to come out. The most penetrating question this morning is probably this. Where is your heart not fresh? Where are you hurt, wounded, sore, guilty, shameful, feel downtrodden, feel misunderstood? Because where your heart is broken and seeping and therefore kind of unclean, kind of like a festering wound. It does not matter what you try and do with your words. They will only, in the end, bring out what's in your heart. Where does your heart need to be touched by the healing grace of God today that fresh water might flow out of your life? What you cannot do, well, you can, but lend in tears. What you cannot do is go out this morning knowing that there are some ways of speaking that are ungodly and expect by your effort to be able to put that right. That's not what James says. Occasionally, we're all tempted to ignore the Bible and have a go ourselves. It's never worked yet. Where does your heart need to be touched by the healing grace of God? Caustic words come out of our mouths because our hearts are damaged, hurting, festering, full of poison, seeping unforgiveness, whatever it might be. Where are you hurting so that sometimes you lash out at others? Where are you guilty so that sometimes you're way too quick to condemn others? Where are you fearful so all too readily you lose your temper? Where are you vulnerable so that you're tempted to stretch the truth to protect yourself and that vulnerability? Where is the water not fresh? In your heart. Where is the water not fresh in your heart? Spirit of God, I'm asking that you take these words that come straight from the book of James and you bring them real to our hearts. I think I'm going to ask the guys just to play quietly for a few moments. And this is the question I'd like you to ask yourself. This is the question I would like you 
to invite the Holy Spirit who wants to lead and guide us into all truth. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us about what kind of words cause you to fail. Hey, we all fail with our words. What kind of words cause you to fail? Let's spend a few moments allowing the Spirit to speak to our hearts. Got to that place just now of knowing what kind of words cause you to fail. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand and say, I know, I know, I understand. I, I know, I know where I fail. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Okay, put your hands down because it's hard to leave them raised, but there's a Father in heaven who sees the acknowledgement of your heart, sees your willingness to say, I know that in these ways I fail with my words. And and now I believe, much more importantly, the question that the Spirit would bring uh, to you this morning is what's in your heart that causes those words to flow? So where is your heart broken and hurting? Where is there some poison, some rottenness? Where is there some death, some decay? And we're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit for a few moments. It's really important. The Bible says that the Spirit of God never seeks to condemn us. So to leave us knowing where we failed, but without speaking to our hearts, is not the work of the Spirit. So gently and openly as you lay your life before the Spirit of God, where does your heart need to be touched? in order that clear, fresh water might flow. Let's just hang here for a minute and invite the Spirit to speak. And so maybe you uh, uh, can see just in these moments uh, a link between the way that you speak and the way a part of your heart feels. If you're making that connection, and if you want God to touch your heart in that place, then I'm inviting you to stand quietly where you are, and I will pray. Jesus, what we offer you in these moments is not our determination to do better, although we do. What we offer you in these moments is not our our longing, our belief that if only I did, I could change. We offer you the reality, the truth in your word that's true for every single person, standing or sitting, that that we, we can't, we're broken in different areas of our lives. We're broken, we're messed up, we're hurting. We've got stuff in our lives that causes 
putrid water to flow. And what comes out of our mouth is sometimes just a reminder that our hearts are not fresh. I'm asking Lord Jesus to minister to broken, hurting hearts all over this room right now. There is no cry in your heart that Jesus doesn't hear. There is no pain too deep, no wound too infected, no anguish too overwhelming for Jesus to meet you. He took it all on the cross. Every single hurt, every single pain. And his promise that if you believe in him, if you give yourself to his death and resurrection, streams of living water will flow from deep within you in those hurting broken, damaged places. Jesus, I need you to heal me. Jesus. We're tempted to hide things from ourselves and to hide things from God. He sees it all. And we can trust Him with it. Thank you, Jesus. As we just allow Jesus to continue his work in our lives, let's all stand. You alone can rescue. You alone can save.